Good day, Marvelous Brilliant wonderful podcast family. What a privilege and honor to be with you again. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing fantastic, and I'm sending you all of my love, well wishes, and good vibes through the airwaves to you right now. We've got a tremendous episode of the show for you today. We have Udo Erasmus on, and we're talking about eight keys to sexy health, experiencing total awareness, purpose, and inspiration. Um, Udo is an acclaimed author, speaker, and expert on health. He has been around the health game for a long time. He has a very interesting background as well. Um, so we dive deep in this. We talk about his background in biochemistry and genetics. We talk about the eight steps of self, se- <laughs> the eight steps of sexy health, uh, the goal to live in full presence. So there's a lot of spiritual information in this as well. Uh, we talk about how your body can change by 98% uh, gut health supplements, how to break habitual thinking ruts. We he shares a really deep story about uh, meeting these. Uh, messengers of light or beings of light that's at the end and I kind of brought it out in him because I said you know if you had any really wild experiences would you be willing to share any um we talk about um life as the master um why we should sit with our own heartache so much stuff this is an amazing episode I know that you're going to enjoy it um if you like it please share this episode tag myself on Facebook and Udo let us know where you're listening um Instagram all those places are fantastic we would love to hear from you um leaving a review please go on iTunes and leave a review um that helps tremendously Thank you to all my patrons. If you go to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair and just toss a buck in the bucket, that really helps. And I want to thank James. Thank you, James, for for doing that. And I also want to welcome Marta G to the Academy. Um, The Academy's got a bunch of exclusive content there. And for those of you who want to learn a step-by-step master system for overcoming self-sabotage, strengthening your connection with spirit, and designing and living the life of your dreams, check out the absolutely fantastic soul compass course that is absolutely free when you become an academy member it includes exclusive uh content from guests guided meditations brainwave entrainment and so much more so would love to have you in the academy go to mattbelair.com you're going to find all that information over there be sure to sign up for the email list because um censorship's a real thing and if you want a free copy of Udo's book, just go to bit.ly forward slash Udo book, which is U-D-O-B-O-O-K. <laughs> That's hard to say, uh, but bit.ly forward slash U-D-O-B-O-O-K, Udo book, and you can get a free copy of his book. Um, again, like I, I love this podcast. I know you're going to enjoy it. There's so much information in here. So um, yeah, if, what else do we got to do? I think that's it. I think. Oh, nope. That's it. If you want to support the show, the best thing you can do is one kind act today. So if you're listening to this, do something kind for someone else. Hold the door open. Pick up a piece of trash. Uh, write a friend. Say a kind word. Give a compliment. Do anything. One kind act is the best way to support the show. And now we're ready to get into it. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. Filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, inspiration, courage. Let it out slowly. There you go. Now we're ready to get into today's incredible episode with Udo Erasmus. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. Today's guest is an acclaimed author 
speaker and expert on total sexy health. He has an eight-step process that takes into consideration all the elements of whole health that includes our mental health, presence and awareness, our life energy, and being in harmony with humanity and nature. He invented the machinery for making oils, enzymes, and more. He first pioneered flaxseed oil and the healthy fats industry. He has an extensive education in biochemistry, genetics, and biology, and nutrition, as well as a master's in counseling psychology. His latest focus is on sustainable energy and water management, as well as healthcare based in nature and human nature, and the thirst of the heart resulting in total health. Welcome to the show, Udo Erasmus. Hi, Matt. Glad How's to it going? Be on. Oh, life is good. Uh, it's good to have you on the show. You know, I was saying before we started, uh, we had some technical difficulties, so unfortunately people can't watch this live, but um, I've hear, heard about your work for so long, and then I saw your team reach out, and I began exploring. You've been in this game for such a long time. You're such an expert in many different fields, so it's an honor to have you on the show. And for those who might not be familiar with your work, do you want to give us a little bit about your background? Because in, in looking into you, there's so much there. You have expertise <laughs> in uh, so many different areas, but you combine the knowledge very, very well in a practical way. And so can you just give us a little bit of background on? Sure. Um, I, I have two stories. One is a shorter story and one is a longer story. Okay. <laughs> the longer story begins when I was two years old and the shorter story began when I was uh, 38. So up, up to you. So I, I'll tell the short story first, and we'll, we'll get to the other one later. So, so in 1980, I got poisoned by pesticides. And how that happened is I was married, and my marriage broke up, and I was really upset, and I wanted to kill something. So I took a job as a pesticide sprayer, because you kill things when you spray pesticides. And I, had a, I was really good at it, and I got 99.5% on the exam, and you know, I, I was really careless because I was upset and I walked barefoot over the lawns that I had sprayed with weed killer and the skin peeled off the bottom of my feet. And at that point I started wearing rubber boots, but I would always spray in a bathing suit because it was a summer job and I liked getting a tan because I'm like light skinned and you know, if you're discontent and if your skin is light, you want it darker. And if it's dark, you want it lighter. Right? Whatever you got is not, is, is not enough. So, so and, I, and eventually I got poisoned by pesticides. And I ended up with uh, cramps, nausea, dizziness, uh, really low energy. I was 38 and I always had a lot of energy. And I was to a point where if I walked around a city block, I had to sit down and rest like an 80-year-old person. Went to the doctor, said, what do you got for pesticide poisoning? She said, nothing. Penny dropped. <laughs> oh, health is my responsibility. I sort of knew it, you know, but it really, it really dropped. I, hit it. I heard it hit when it dropped that time. And so then I went into, because I had background in biochemistry genetics and I understood the research, I was trained that, in that. I went through the research literature looking at health and nutrition, disease and nutrition. The idea being, your body's made out of food plus water and air, but the food is the variable part. So the idea is that if your level of health is low, but you raise your standard of your food intake, then within one year, 98% of the atoms in your body will have been 
removed and replaced to a higher standard because the body is always turning over 98% every year. So your, your body, you think it's, a, it's one body and it's all together, but it's actually a major construction site all the time. And so the idea is, I, so I decided if I improve my nutrition, I should be able to improve my level of health. And obviously I stopped spraying pesticides too, because that's the other part of it, right? And, uh, and I got stuck on fats because I realized they are the most sensitive of nutrients. They need the most care. Omega-3 was established as essential only the year after I got poisoned. So I was with my head in the journals at, at that point. 99% uh, of the population doesn't get enough omega-3 for optimum health. This is the biggest essential nutrient deficiency of our time. Every cell needs them. So there have to be lots of symptoms from not getting enough. And I had an orgasm because when I found out, I said, oh my God, if we could make omega-3s with health in mind, and by the way, they're five times more easily damaged than the rest of the cooking oils because they're really, really sensitive. But that's also what makes them really, really good. And if we could bring them back, we could help so many people. And I, it just lit a fire. I mean, I was so fired up. And then it was like I developed a method for making oils with health in mind to protect them from light, from oxygen, and from heat while they're being pressed, settled, filtered, filled till they're in a brown glass bottle, in a box, nitrogen flushed, in a fridge, in the factory or the store or at home. That was the idea. And that seeds are, are well packaged. Nature's packaging is very good to protect those seeds. But once you break them, that, that protection is lost. So we had to do it for the whole thing. We had to build a very, very tight system because air goes everywhere and light goes everywhere. So it has to be an anally tight system. And so we came out with flax oil in 1986. And the idea why flax, high in omega-3s, impossible to work with, huge, uh, you know, it's a nightmare to work with. Nobody wants to work with it. Everybody wants a long shelf life. We're talking about perishable goods. Mm. So, and I, I thought, well, if we can make that one, then any other oil we'd ever want to make in our life would be a piece of cake. So start with the hardest one first. So we got it done. And then I became omega-6 on uh, omega-6 deficient on flax oil because it has too much three for the six it contains. And I, I developed a blend where, where omega-3 and six, both from organically grown seeds, both made with health in mind in the right ratio, in glass because you don't want oil in plastics because plastic swells oil and oil le uh, and plastic leaches into oil quicker than into water. And so basically that's the, that's the journey we took. And then we went out in 1988 in a van without air conditioning, the hottest months of the year. So <laughs> July, August, half of September, half of June through the U.S., steaming our butts off, right? <laughs> 101, uh, 101 days, 85 cities, 17,000 miles by road, 35 states, talked to anybody who would listen to us. And we were fired up. And then people, then in two years, flax oil became the, the highest selling oil in the health food industry. And everybody wanted to carry the oil, you know, all the distributors. And so we'd have an interview with them. Do you have refrigeration in your, fa in your, sto in your storage? If they said yes, I'd pass them off to the guy to see if they could make a deal. If they said no, I said, are you willing to bring it in? 
If they said yes, I'd say, call us when you have it. And if they said no, I said, this is a good time to end the interview. We would not work with people who wouldn't, didn't want to take the care that we felt the oil needed in order to maintain and retain and unfold its health improving poverty, uh, uh, properties. Turns out omega-3s are the, the God molecule. It's called alpha-linolenic acid. It's an omega-3, alpha-omega. That's, that's cute, but uh, it increases energy level. It increases oxy oxygen metabolism. It increases oxidation. So we measured on athletes 40 to 60% increase in stamina within a month of taking a tablespoon per 50 pounds of body weight per day mixed in the food and the intake spread out over the course of the day, 40 to 60%. There is no program of like, there's no uh, mental program or physical program or, or gimmick or method that gets you that kind of gain that quickly. And so that, that basically is what I did for 38, for 38 years, starting in 1980, developed a method, started an industry and it's a, it's an ongoing industry. And, uh, I was, I have no business background, but I was, I was so inspired to do it just because it's kind of like you find a purpose for my life, you know, it's like, oh my God, I could help so many people. And somehow real purpose on this planet, it's always about making quality of life better for as many people as possible. So that's, that's, that's the story on, on the oils. And then I got into digestion because that's the second most neglected area. Mm digestive enzymes, probiotics, fiber. And then I, uh, so I work with those as well. And then I got into greens because greens are the foundation of everything. And, uh, and then in the, in the course of that, I traveled to 40 countries talking about giving people good information. And one of the things I realized fairly early on is that it's not enough to get good information. If people aren't inspired they're not going to put the information into practice. Mm -hmm. And in, because inspire, inspiration pulls you out of your mental ruts, your mental thinking habits. And then it's easy to try something. And then if you get results, then you build a habit around it. And oil was particularly good because just about everybody saw results, either in energy levels or in the way their skin felt because your skin needs oil both omega-3 and 6, they form a barrier in the skin against the loss of moisture. Or during pregnancies, they were less eventful. It's, they're like flying. You know, you want your pregnancies like least eventful as possible. And, uh, and, then, and then the research started, and the research now says if you increase omega-3s in your diet, provided they're not damaged and not full of toxins, you can improve virtually every major degenerative condition of our time. Why is that? Because 99% of the population doesn't get enough. They are essential. Your body can't make them, so you have to get them from outside. Mm. They, uh, they are super sensitive, so it's hard to find a good source. And there aren't as many sources as there are of other oils, because they're like northern, they're more Arctic oils, like in Canada, in, in the prairies, and but in, in, in most of the U.S., flax doesn't grow that well. And the further south you go, the less oil is in the seed. So it also becomes less efficient. So that's kind of like, like the, the, the health story. And then, I start, and then I started thinking, well, what else affects health? 
And the answer was, well, actually, if you think about it, everything affects health. And out of that came the book that I call the book on total sexy health, the eight key parts designed by nature, because where your focus is or where your awareness is affects your health. Mm. Whether you're in touch with the energy that is your power and also your essence, whether you're in, f in touch with that or not, that affects your health. Whether you're inspired or not and are, have purpose and, and have something that you're excited about, that affects your health. And then your body is, affects your health, obviously food and fitness, digestion and detox. Those are the main areas. And then how you deal with crisis affects your health. How skillful are you in crisis and how calm can you be under fire? So that affects your health. Who you hang out with affects your health. In fact, we used to, okay, when we were kids in the schoolyard and people ticked us off, say, you make me sick. So we even know as kids that we affect each other's health, right? And then what your environment looks like affects your health. And the big picture, the fact that here you are living in a terminal body, super, super tiny terminal body in a, an infinite universe and being okay with that, that affects your health too. If you're not okay with it, you know, you're going to die, you're going to die. You know, there's going to be a certain amount of anxiety and, 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 and fear associated with not being okay with the way it is. And so each one of those eight has a different nature, a different function, needs a different kind of attention on a regular basis, goes off in a different way and responds to a different kind of intervention. And if you want to live the wholest life you can live, then you have to give each one of those eight its due. And the sexy part is about, sexy is not just about genitals, sexy is about energy. It's about vitality. It's about being full on. It's about being present. It's about showing up. It's about being attractive. Every one of those eight brings you a part of that sexy. And anytime you get out of line with one or more of those eight, you will lose the part that it confers on sexy. And when you get back in line, then you get your sexy back. That's the model, right? And why sexy? Sexy is the power word. You know, so we talk about anything that's really n noticeable. Oh, that's sexy. Even architecture and, and, and uh, um, uh, technology, art, you know, all kinds of things we call sexy because they're noticeable. They're remarkable, right? So that, that's why the word sexy. And yes, will it make your sex better? Yeah, of course, if you're fully present, that probably helps. <laughs> the goal, the ultimate goal is to be fully present in all of your being and your surroundings and not lost in thoughts in your head. And then when you, when you live like that, you can respond into situations very simply. It's, just, it's very comfortable. That way, everything falls into place when you are fully present in your being and your environment. And that's the cherished state. And 8 billion people could live like that. You know, I, I say 8, 8 billion people could live their lives lit up from within because the light's already in everybody. 
but we need to look into it instead of looking away from it. When we look into it, we will feel so enriched and so taken care of because life takes unconditional, loves the, the body unconditionally, 24 7, 365, uh, takes perfect care of us. And when we feel perfectly take care, feel perfectly cared for, we don't steal each other's stuff because we have enough. We have more than enough. Then we can live in harmony together. When we live in harmony together, we can make sure very easily that everybody's basic needs are met on a long-term sustainable basis. That's kind of the, the, the goal that I'm living into. That is amazing. <laughs> your <laughs> reputation precedes itself. It's funny because I said in the beginning when we were chatting that mm. I've heard your name come up and it was always in high regard for people I respected. Mm. And I'm mm. like, you know, I'm not familiar with this work yet. And yeah. it's a treat to meet you on the podcast to dive into this. That was so brilliantly put. And I have so many questions. Oh, great. And so I want to know, what do I do? Like, you know, you talk about the eight steps and you laid them out a little bit, but also for the oils, like I'm an athlete and that sounds amazing to me. And nutrition is one that I definitely haven't mastered, right? You see a lot of different things out there like CBD or vegan or, or, you know, all these other things. And it kind of gets a little bit muddled for me. And I know that there's great protocols and if you can get an expert, they can make it a little bit simpler for you. But I'm wondering if you have a, a protocol that you would give your average Joe, or does it change? Because for me personally, I want to know what, what would an athlete do, but also for an average Joe, does it change? Like how do we apply? No, there, the there, there are no average Joes and there are no average Janes either. Mm. Just, just, <laughs> just well, I guess if point. somebody's in disease already. Yeah. Okay. What you need to heal is not different from what you need to not get sick. Mm. You know, right. the, because the program is the program. And that program was designed by life in nature. And, and, and how to eat. The research is very clear. Whole food, plant-based, gets you the longest life and the healthiest life. Whole food, plant-based. If you do 100% whole food, plant-based, you need to take a B12 supplement. Um, whole food plant-based and then fresh whole raw organic was life's standard and is still life standard for every creature and the only creatures on this planet that deviate from fresh whole raw organic is us and the poor animals that depend on us for food so th that's a that's a pretty general but, but whatever it is you are so like like say you eat fried food every day okay go from frying to boiling then go from boiling to steaming, then go from steaming to raw as much as you can. Hmm. Just head in that direction. If you're a, if you're a big meat eater and, and you gotta have like a steak for breakfast, no, bacon for breakfast, steak for lunch and you know a chicken for dinner, well, that's not the way it was in nature in most places. In nature, the men, when they went hunting, came home with rocks, came home empty-handed most of the time. When they came home empty-handed, we ate vegetables because they don't run away, they don't fight back, and they're easy to hunt down and kill. And so most, so a lot of the traditional places, I mean, there are exceptions, but 
three times a year, four times a year, maybe 12 times a year to eat animal product was enough to get the B12 they needed. There were other places like where the buffalo roam and, uh, and uh, the herds in on the steppes of Africa, there were different, so there was more meat in those diets, but those people were not that long lived. In the places in Africa where people had the best health, they were eating like 100 grams of fiber a day, which means you have to be stuffed end to end with plant foods, right? And they didn't, and then in that kind of a diet, they never got colon cancer, they never got any of that. There's lots of research shows that eggs and meat get you uh, get bacteria going in your digestive tract that make toxins that lead to colon problems. There's lots of lots of research. So fundamentally, it's always head in the direction of more plants and head in the direction of less processing and head in the direction of fresh, whole, raw, organic. It, ma it makes sense. And I've had a, a couple of great guests on. I had uh, Cyrus Kambada on, and he wrote a New York Times bestseller on, uh, it was about, um, shoot, forget what it was, but uh, basically about how to eat healthy. What's that? What it, Diabetes. Everybody has, hmm. like, what is that thing that so many people have? Diabetes. Yeah, and so he ended up healing it, but he was, a, you know, through the diet, and he kind of explains that. And then he, he got his friend, Dr. Will B, on the show, and he talked about gut health. And interestingly, mm -hmm. I have a professor, uh, my daughter loves dogs and I usually take her for walks. And so we pet this, you know, I, I say, hey, can we pet your dog? He's got this beautiful golden retriever. And I find out he's a biologist at a local university. And he was saying that the gut produces um, DMT. And, and, it, and so everybody talks about the pineal gland. I said, hey, you know, the pineal gland is like what everybody talks about. I was like, what do you think about that? And he goes, actually, you know, your gut. He's like, I want to get a... Uh, um, a grant to research that because the gut, the gut health is most important and it produces DMT. So mm. I don't know if that's true or what the deal is with that. It's a very interesting concept, but very smart people keep telling me it's all about gut health over and oh. over and mm. over again. And oh, so for sure. Because you have, because your body is 60 trillion cells, you have a hundred times more bacterial cells or microbial cells in your gut weigh a kilogram total. There's much smaller cells. And between them, all of these microbes in your gut have a hundred times more different genes than all of your genes in your body. Your genes in your body are about 25,000, uh, 23,000. And the, the bacteria have 2.3 million. Mm. And they make all kinds of stuff that gets absorbed into your body that will determine the state of health of your body. And when you eat plants, that favors the production of different kinds of bacteria than when you eat animal products. And that shows up within days of making the switch. So, and, and uh, I also think that if you eat cooked foods, you should replace the probiotics that were killed when the foods were cooked, because on raw foods, they're covered by bacteria. That's where cows get them when they eat grass in the meadow. They start in your mouth, they go through the whole system, and they regulate the function of many of the other microbes. Um, and we should also replace digestive enzymes, because when you cook food, you kill the ones that are present in raw foods. And you make your body do more than twice as much work as it was actually made for 
was made for raw food. And then when you kill the, the bacteria that do 60% of the, digest, uh, the, the enzymes, when you destroy the enzymes that do 60% of the digestion for you, then you overload your digestive system. And that will eventually show up in digestive problems. That's why it's such an important area. That's why I picked that after the fats. Fats was the biggest, biggest uh, deficiency uh, digestion, the, the most messed up. And if your digestion isn't working, not much is going to work in your body for long because everything in your body, you know, the hairs on your eyebrows and your beard and, you know, the, 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 you know, the stub on your nose and, you know, the, the, the bones in your shoulder and, you know, the, the skin on your toes and your, your, your nails and your eyeballs, everything, you know, the, your eyes came out of your digestive tract. That sounds funny to say that, right? But your eyes are made out of food. Everything I'm talking about, everything is made out of food. And if the food, uh, you know, plus water, plus air, but, but if you're not getting the foods right and your digestion isn't working, then you create deficiency of essential nutrients. You create toxicity because you, you're, you're creating other problems in your digestive tract. And, uh, and then, and, and you cannot sustain that for very long. And everybody has digestive issues going on, except for me. <laughs> it's, it's true. The, the gut health is absolutely massive. It's a, it's a huge issue. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I want to ask, you know, I think for, for most people, when you say raw food diet's super challenging. And so mm -hmm. it's kind of two questions. Number one, when you suggest the raw food diet, plant-based, um, do you <laughs> add in what the supplements like the flaxseed and the B12 and things like that, like what, it, what, it, what do you add in addition? And if you're, let's say, well, it's just a generally average, the diet isn't great. It's not terrible. You're eating kind of fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, you eat some meat here and there. It's not, it's not terrible. What can you do when you're talking about replacing the microbes? What can you add in addition to that? What can you like maybe put into your diet where you're going to limit that a little bit as you make progress in a more positive limit, direction? Limit what a little bit? Uh, say some of your bad choices, like say you're doing KFC every day or something, right? Like, well, yeah. Okay. So for instance, instead of meat, seeds and nuts, mm. they're filling oils, suppress appetite. You feel full, you get stable energy. They're better than carbs because carbs make your blood sugars go up and down, especially if they're refined. Mm. Right. So seeds and nuts have more as much or more protein in them than, uh, than meat does. They have better fats in them. And they're also associated when you eat seeds and nuts that are not roasted and not salted, they actually increase longevity. And, and when you eat meat and eggs and dairy and fish and chicken, all of those shorten your life. Hmm. The research is, is, is really clear now. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that's, that's, no, that doesn't mean it's not a preference, but your preference, you, usually your preference comes from your parents. You know, it's not genes go and have like, like if you get heart attacks from eating pork and pork and whatever it is, right? Then you say, oh, well, this must be genetic. No, you know, habits of thinking and food habits also run in families. And it's not genetic at all, but it, it will certainly run in families because you kind of grow up the way you grow up. And then that seems normal to you, even if it was really bad. You know, how do you know as a little kid what's really bad? Because you don't really have a, a basis for a choice. 
other than you living with people. That's what you're getting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So I have a, so two questions. Yeah. Number one, when mm. I hear about the diets and things like that, uh, whether it's intermittent yeah. fasting or someone's telling me go vegan or keto or whatever the, the case yeah. is, um, yeah. what I, what I want or what I need is somebody just to tell me how to make the breakfast, lunch, and dinner, because I don't understand it. So does that exist anywhere? If someone says, okay, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot. Where can I go that it just gives me a meal plan? I can go get the stuff. Mm -hmm. I understand it. And I'm going to go ahead and do it because all I really need, I need three examples for breakfast, three examples for lunch, three examples okay. for dinner. And I can go ahead and did it because uh, I did start to catch up, but I'll finish by saying yeah. when I was vegetarian for like two, three years, it was almost three years. Yeah. You know, I knew what I was doing a bit, but I ate so much pasta and the pasta would always make me tired and it took me always yeah. forever to figure out what I was doing, you know? And I was like, why am I so tired? I don't know if I'm gluten intolerant or what, but it wasn't, it wasn't no, it's positive. Blood sugar swings. It's just blood yeah. sugar swings. And that's yeah, the nature of carbohydrates. And that's mm -hmm. how you get diabetes too. Mm -hmm. That's how you get overweight and obesity too. It's mostly because they make your blood sugar go up and down. That makes your insulin go up and down. That makes your mood go up and down. That gets you cravings, then you want to eat, then you eat too much because it takes time to digest, and then you get into a carb addiction cycle. And the mm. way you break the cycle is you dump the carbs, you get fats in a wake, a keto diet, but the keto diet has to have focus on omega-3 and omega-6 because that's the only two things that your body can't make from fats that you have to ha get from outside. So when you drink coffee with butter or, or coffee with coconut oil, which is very popular these days, it would be better, you would be better off to put Udo's oil on the coffee, in the coffee, because it's the richest source of fresh essential fatty acids. And you get more energy and it will get your fat burning, it turns on fat production, turns off fat burning. It does it better than butter and, and coconut do. So, um, and, and, uh, so, um, so, or you can eat the seeds and nuts that contain those. So there'd be flax, sunflower, sesame seeds, something like that in a, in a ratio of two to one to get the ratio that we use in the oil. And, uh, and, uh, and, and the, the issue with it is there are no carbs that are essential. Like if you lived with zero carbs, your body can make them out of protein. Your body can make them out of fats. There are no essential carbohydrates. They are the least important food. They're okay fuel if you burn them, but they're least important food. But in fats, there are essential nutrients. In proteins, there are essential nutrients, and there are essential minerals and vitamins. But there's nothing in carbs you can't get elsewhere. That's why they're the least important food. Now, we started that diet at a time when they didn't understand how much damage is done to our oils when they're processed like a million damaged molecules for every one of your body's 60 trillion cells in one tablespoon, if it's 1% damaged by the processing. And that's pretty standard. Hmm. And so they didn't blame the processing damage. They blamed the oils. So they said, oh, you should eat carbs instead. Then they got hmm. put on the bottom of the food pyramid. So like after McGovern, uh, uh, Senator McGovern's uh, nutrition and health, he wrote a thing on, Nutrition and Health, 1979. The food pyramid with the carbs in the bottom that you should eat the most of happened the year after that, around the year after that. And in 20 years, overweight went from 25 to 60% of the population in the United States. 
Hmm. And I was like, okay, well, does it, does that tell you something? And nobody thought hmm. about it. He said, just don't eat fats, eat carbs. Carbs are better fueled in saturated fats for performance, but omega-3s, the, the, the essential fats, are better fuel for, uh, for sports than the carbs. And the carbs, you know, we, we used to say to people when they did marathons, say, oh, you're doing it wrong, man. Everybody was carb loading, right? I imagine, have you ever seen that office where Michael Scott does carb loading before he does a run for the office? He, no. It's, it's so funny. He has like a fettuccine Alfredo carb oh, yeah, loading yeah. to do like a 5K run. And he just starts yeah. vomiting everywhere. That's exactly what I think. And I was oh, going to yeah. ask that question too. So Yeah, so what, they, so what they did is they carb loaded, but you can only load about a pound of carbs. And that only gets you 20 miles. Hmm. And then you run out of carbs. And then you got to switch into fat burning, but that takes time. So when you're running a marathon, the last six miles to the end of this 26-mile run are agony for people. So we said, no, guy, you guys are doing it wrong. You need to carb deplete. Make sure that when you start the race, your fat burning mechanism is turned on and they run the whole race on fats. If you have omega-3s in it, they actually, I call them the fat burning fire starter because they actively turn on fat burning and actively turn off fat production in the body, genetically, right? And so, uh, and, and if you are 8% body fat and you have normal weight, you can run 300 miles on half of that fat. 300 miles. And fat has always been our major fuel. That's why, you know, you could be, like you could be weigh 300 pounds, you have 300 pounds of fat on you you could run at at 12,000 miles on that do you mean like like before they die or like they would have the energy for it because you know before you run out of fuel what i gotta try this i did i did 13 13 what miles yeah i was like or no 10 it was 10 miles because i was working up to 13 i haven't got there yet i started to do more running and my legs give out they get tired uh and what what you were eating for fuel Carbs? Probably, gar- probably garbage, probably carbs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what yeah. I'm doing. Like I'll, yeah. I'll eat like a lot of wraps. So my idea right now is like, I get the vegetables in a wrap. I'll, I'll eat eggs. Um, yeah. When I was yeah vegetarian, I still ate eggs. So I don't know if that, that counts. Um, and then I was eating a lot of pastas and yeah. uh, lots of salads. Yeah. But I didn't, don't really know what I'm doing. And so I want to go back to that. Qu- is there a resource someone could go through and, and just make it easy? So they'd be like, I, this is my diet plan. Do, do, you, yeah. do you have that okay. in your book or is that somewhere so- else? I, so I have, a, I have a cookbook. The, the recipes are not mine. They were put together by a, a celebrity chef by the name of Alan Rettinger. And it's called Omega-3 Cuisine, Recipes for Health and Pleasure. And he's got 140 recipes, all plant-based, all use the oil. And he's got like breakfast, di- uh, lunch, dinner, snacks, desserts. So he's got a bunch of bunch of really cool things in there. That's where I would go, um, and then you try try out what you like, right? But awesome. but the but the the important thing is you need to get your fats right. You need to get the right kind of fats if you get enough of them. And it was always a tablespoon per fifty pounds of body weight per day for our athletes. Forty percent increase in stamina. Forty to sixty percent increase in stamina within a month. That's what, amazing. What happened to our our um, our marathon runners, not everybody was willing to make the switch onto fats 
for the run because it was completely against the grain, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Against the grain. I, I didn't mean that as a pun, but, <laughs> but, but the, a few of them took us up on it. And they, when they came back, they said, oh my God, that was incredible. After I finished running the marathon, I felt I had the energy to run another one. So they never hit the wall. And then, you know, and now, the, now they let them dr drink sugar drinks on the run. But that's stupid. They, they, they weren't allowed to do that before. Only water. Only water, no food. But you have enough energy in your body, in your fat deposits, to run way further than that. Longest distance ever run in 24 hours in the U.S.? Six marathons in 24 hours. 152 miles. Oh, my God. Ran it, ran it on Udo's boat. Kidding. That's, how's that kidding. for a testimonial? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> right? So, so and, and, then, and then not only that, the energy is stable. And so you don't get the blood sugar swings and the tiredness and the mood swings and all of that. Energy is stable and fats suppress appetite. So it's, re it's hard to become fat on fats if you're making sure you're doing it right. But you've got to make sure it's not, it can't all just be medium chain triglycerides or butter or coconut fat because they have virtually no essential fatty acids in them. The only thing that's really important is omega-3 and omega-6, the essential fatty acids, undamaged, in the right ratio, in glass, in a box, in the fridge, and not used for frying. That's amazing. Okay. So two questions. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm blown away and I can't wait to try because I'm going to try it. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I've done fasting. I've tried that and that was great. And I've heard of other people do longer fasts. And mm -hmm. one of the things that kind of clicked in when I fasted and I started to eat a little bit better was, I bet you, I wonder if, you know, this conditioning of three meals a day and all this snacks and all, all of it to eat crap food mostly, right? Like you're looking at ice. I love ice cream and, and all the crappy food, you know, I'm pretty good cause I'll work out and then I'll eat, you know, maybe not so great, have some snacks and things here and there, but it's such an industry of what you're consuming and your uh, what's the word for it? Like a closed, closed system. Um, there's like a, uh, alchemist word for it, but like that nothing goes in other than what you allow, like, like mm -hmm. you have smell, but you're choosing to eat it. And so all the stuff we're ingesting is actually killing us. That was kind of the mm -hmm. insight. Um, mm -hmm. And so what you're saying is kind of the same idea. So I'm curious of, of um, two things. When they do the um, diet, are they adding and supplementing the oils too? And if so, do they need any other supplements at all? Because there's like, you know, thousands of different supplements that they say to take out mm -hmm. there. So I'm just wondering about that protocol. And then the second question is, the first thing that my girlfriend and partner will tell me is if I say, Hey, we're going to do this um, diet. She's going to be like, that's no fun. Like I want, you know, she, she's pretty healthy ish, but no, she's, she's healthy, but um, likes muffins and likes things like that. It's like, it says it's no fun. So is there a mm -hmm. middle ground here? Or do we got to go all the way? Or is it maybe like we can eat two meals that are perfect and then mm -hmm. eat a muffin and I can eat some ice cream after or right, like, yeah, I, right? I call I'm this the good. Russian roulette question. <laughs> it's a Russian roulette question you, because you're asking. Before. You knew you're asking, Yeah, yeah, because you're asking, what can I get away with? Yeah, right. Yeah, and you know, yes. it's like you have a gun and it's got five, uh, one bullet in it. You know, if you hit that bullet, it blows your brains out. Well, it's hard to and go cold turkey with the whole way, especially with a lot of people out there. They got to ease into it. So even if they're making a couple good choices, no, you know, you know, you know what the middle way is? Discipline. Oh. 
<laughs> and the discipline and the discipline uh, is around the question of what I want, what do I want? What are my goals? You want to be healthy? You don't get away with anything. Every molecule you get, eat one garbage molecule, put it in your body, wherever it goes, it will make a small mess. Mm. Right? If you do that long enough, you'll have a big mess. If you do it with enough molecules, you'll have a big mess. Every thought has a consequence. Every molecule has a consequence. Every breath has a consequence. Everything you do has a consequence. And you can learn from those consequences, but your goal has to be clear. You're starting from where you are, where do you want to end up? I mean, one day your body will end up in a box. So they, there's, you know, that's a, so there's, there's that issue as well. And the question then becomes more not about what is your length of life, but what is your quality of life? How fully present are you in the gift that you have of being alive? And if, if you're really enjoying your life, and, and I, I would say I am, I'll do whatever it takes to be around as long as I can because I love being here. Now, if you're not, if you're a little uninspired, a little bummed out about it, yeah, everything's too hard. Every, oh, it's too much work. Oh God, you know, I'm not used to it, right? And if you get, really get bummed out bad enough, then you're gonna destroy your body deliberately because your life is not worth living. So where on that spectrum you are determines how well you're gonna to take to the advice. I noticed, I noticed when I was traveling a lot, there were people who knew more about health than I did because they came to every expert that came through town. They took copious notes and they talked articulately about what they said and what their thoughts were. And, you know, I had conversations with these people and I learned stuff from them, right? And I was pretty good, but I learned stuff from them and they weren't putting it in practice. And that's where I came up with the idea that it isn't enough to give good information. If you don't provide inspiration with the information, then there's a good chance they're not even going to try it. But when you get inspired, it actually inspiration frees energy and it lifts you out of your habitual thinking ruts. And your habitual thinking ruts are the beliefs that lead you to your actions that lead to those consequences. And to change the habit, to change the thinking habit, you need a new experience. Number one, if, if you can be inspired, then you're going to be willing to try something new. And if when you try something new, you notice a benefit, then that paves the road for you to change your habit. That's very important. And in order to be inspired, that's not a nutritional issue. You know, it's like, I, I didn't hear you ask me, uh, what's the best inspiration food on the planet, right? Because we don't have foods like that. I would say the God molecule is the omega-3s because they do increase energy and they elevate mood and lift depression or what the body turns them into elevates mood and lift depression. So that's as close as you come to an inspiration molecule. But actually, your inspiration is the shine of life. And in order to get in touch with the shine of life, 
you have to get in touch with the life that shines. And that life is your personal essence. So now we're, we, we just jumped, I just jumped out of the food area, right? So when you're in touch with that essence, well, let me ask you a question, see how you go. Because if I pointed you and I say, whose body is that? What do you say? Don't be cosmic about it. Just yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I was just thinking, no, yeah, it's mine. Yeah, it's mine. Yeah, it's mine. Everybody, <laughs> almost everybody. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. It. I was like, hold on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is this, like, is this a trick question? It's my question? temporary suit until I die. Yeah, yeah. Of course, all of that. But when you ask most people, they say it's my body. Mm-hmm. Well, if this is my body, I've just told you that I'm not the body. Mm-hmm. I'm the owner. Mm-hmm. Well, who owns the body? And then some people say, Well, I do. Okay. Well, who is I? And it turns out that life owns your body. Life, what is life? Life is energy. That energy is omnipresent in your body. So everywhere present, omnipotent, all power in your body is life. And all knowledge, because life knows everything about your body, because it's running the show. Weighs nothing, runs everything. Then the question becomes is, well, if you are life, and this is your body, how well do you know yourself as life? And most people, not much, because we live externally, we live in reaction to the environment, we live in reaction or according in line with our thoughts, maybe our emotions, maybe we pump iron a little bit, so we live a little bit in our body, and sometimes pumping iron gets us a little bit more in touch with the energy that we are, but not that much. What, what is, is maybe more effective is if you actually take time to sit down, to shut up, to do nothing except breathing, and, be, and internalize your awareness and feel what it feels like to be alive and maybe close your eyes and look into the darkness and see what it looks like in that darkness because there is light in that darkness and you are that light or you you um, you shut off the outside sounds and you listen into the silence well there is a sound in the silence that is the sound of your life the feelings are all feelings of life you can even taste the taste of life when you get in touch with that in that is all your power and then you go one step behind it into awareness out of which all of that comes because awareness is beyond time space energy and matter but that's all nice to say in words but what does that feel like and when you become awareness you live in the realm of unlimited possibility in something that is completely formless, timeless, dimensionless, has no inside, no outside. And, and that from that core, that inner core, that is your universal essence, you can actually extend outward and realize that that awareness is not limited to your body, but goes to the end of the universe. And in that place is your peace, is your wholeness, is your presence, is all the stuff that we're looking for out there that you know something in us is uneasy that we're trying to find all of that is in the core of your being and we're looking everywhere 
except where it is to try and find it. That's why we're, that's why the world is so crazy. Holy smokes, man. That's amazing. Well, I was going to bridge into, it's funny. I was listening to you talk about the food and I wanted to bridge into that because, um, I looked at some of the, your research and some of the questions that they wanted me to like, you know, suggest Mm -hmm. that I ask. And I really love the idea of the thirst for the heart, thirst of the heart. So I wanted you to talk about that. And also what you're talking about, it's kind of like the highest level teachings of Zen when you're saying, um, getting outside of the thoughts, which most people can't break the pattern in years and sometimes a lifetime. And so the words for some people will be familiar. They might've read them, but not experienced Mm -hmm. it. Say, okay, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can have the idea of not having thoughts. I can kind of get it, but how do I actually get to that experience? And so I've had glimpses and, and I'll train to, experience that right train to have more focus through martial Mm -hmm. arts the different zen training and martial arts training i've done helps with that and i haven't got to the point where eckhart toll describes in his book he says he was you know he was um he's actually in vancouver too right and uh dave because he was depressed and then yeah he he realized there were two people talking yeah and then he said and he yeah. said, well, who are these two people? <laughs> and he yeah, they woke up and sat on the, on the bench, in, you know, and so clearing those thoughts. So I guess the, yeah. it's going to be a roundabout question of how so many people are in pain and suffering. They don't know how to step out of their pattern. They don't know how to step out of the, the mindset. So what is the process or the way of clearing the mind and, and actually living in full presence? Because that's incredibly powerful. Because yeah. right now we are living in crisis. And yeah, we course. have this perpetual stress added on to those. Yeah, by the way, the human race has been living in crisis for 200,000 years. Right. Good and if we don't have one, we manufacture one. Right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yep. Just, just by the way, right? No. So in, in the awareness that is at the foundation of your being, there's no stress. There's no nothing. Just like potential, wholeness oneness, peace, as a feeling, real, not in words. And then you can write poetry about it in words, but you really want to leave the poetry because you want to get out of your head, out of the words, beyond your emotions, into that place. So there are no words there. There are no words in life energy either. And there are no words in inspiration, although we use the feeling of inspiration to create images, to imagine things into being, usually positive, life-affirming things, okay? So the first thing you need to know is that that already exists within you. By the way, life, just to, to make it one more step clearer, life is the master. Life runs your show. It's omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient in your body, And that's a definition of the masters, like Buddha, Christ, those guys, Krishna, Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu, all the wise people, all the really wise people. They lived in touch with that energy. That's why they were masters. That's what they were masters of, to surrender or to bring their awareness, to bring the focus of the awareness into the energy. Now, if you listen to their stories, or if you look at the story of a person's life, every one of us lived in that space for as long as our mother was pregnant. 
So it could have been three months, six months, nine months. Okay. Why? Because when you're in your mother's body, I call it the Buddha tank. You're in that place, you're floating around in this little thing, right? Nothing to do, nowhere to go, everything taken care of, and you're safe. You have no responsibility. There's nothing that you need to do except just hang out till you get pushed out, right? So we, have, so we all have experienced that state. Now, what does it take for you now to be that, uh, to be that undoing? Because we're addicted to thinking and doing. And it's the addiction to thinking and doing that makes it difficult to not be thinking and not be doing. And to, and to drop into being where you're not doing anything. In that being that's already inside of us, that we have already experienced, that being is always within us. Anytime, doesn't matter if my body was wrecked and on its way out and my thinking was completely disorganized and my social group was completely dysfunctional and my environment was a disaster area. Awareness would not be affected at all by it. Life energy would not be affected by any of it. And inspiration would not be affected by any of it. Unless I moved my focus of awareness away from those three. I would not be affected by it. But we, but we don't live focused here. So in, a, in, the, in, the, so in my mother's body, I was in the Buddha state. Okay? So not a strange state. Not, okay? But then we came out, and then all, all hell broke loose. Then you had to get to know, you had to cry for dinner, and you had to cry for a diaper change, and you had to cry for sleeping, and you had to cry if you're cold. And then you had to learn words to express yourself, and then... You had to learn how things work, and then you had to find out who's friend and who's enemy. And now it became a dance of survival. So anytime, so the way life set you up is anytime something changes, your awareness is drawn out through your senses to monitor what's going on, because that's required now for survival. Of course, the joke is at the end of it, you're not going to survive, but that's a, that's that's a whole other story. So we get drawn out automatically. But there's nothing inside of us that is shaking around and moving and, and, and changing to, to bring our awareness back. So coming back has to be deliberate. So going out is automatic. Coming back has to be deliberate. And the thing that we miss, and I think this is the biggest, I call this the most important not have conversation on the planet. The thing that brings us back is when our heart aches. It's what I call thirst of the heart. Some other people call it that, but we have lots of blues, loneliness, longing, striving, yearning, sorrow, grief, sadness, restlessness, emptiness. I have 10 pages of words people use for a feeling that they feel in their chest. Usually when some distraction they had on the outside dries up, or some goal they had gets disappointed. Disappointment is another word for it. Need, it's a need. It's a, um, 
you know, if, um, if your grandmother dies and you were close to her, then we call it sorrow or grief, right? And it's funny that so many different things take us to that place. And why is that? Because this feeling is not about anything out there. This feeling is we fall back to our loss of ourselves. When we came out of our mother's body before, we were present inside, absent outside. Now we're absent outside, uh, sorry, present outside, absent inside. And our disconnection from our inner wholeness is where the thirst of the heart, where's that, that heartache, the blues, the loneliness, where all of those feelings come from. And I call that the, the greatest gift we've been given other than being alive. And the reason for that is, if, they, if it wasn't for this place, you would never find your way home. It's like hunger makes food have meaning. Heartache makes peace have meaning. Heartache makes wholeness or oneness or contentment have meaning. So, it's our, so this feeling is actually, number one, it gets you out of your head, makes you simple, and grounds you. So if you, if you know when you have heartache, and then you get grounded here, and then sometimes people go in the head or they'll go into their fear. So they go down into their fear or they go up into their, into their thoughts. Number two, it's your driving force. Everything we do on this planet has in behind it the hope that when we succeed, we will feel whole again. And we think the wholeness will come from our accomplishment when in fact the wholeness can only come from where it's built into us, right? So it's like, yeah, and then what happens? We do these crazy things, and then we succeed maybe if we do, and then it's like three days of, oh, shit, man, I made it. Oh, boy, oh, I did it, right? And then after three days, this is back, and the, the hope that you had for feeling fulfilled by your accomplishment disappears again. Then you go say, okay, well, it wasn't that. It must have been something else. Must have been something else. Must have been something else. I tell you, chasing money and chasing power and having wars and raping kids or raping women or, or kidnapping kids or greed or murder or war are all driven by our disconnection. Everything destructive is driven by our disconnection because we, we, this is our, such a huge drive. We need to do something to feel taken care of. And then we make up in our mind what that's going to be because we don't know because nobody tells us the story, right? So the second, the third thing is um, this is the starting point for the journey. And you were asking, well, why is it that people have such a hard time? The main reason is they don't want to go to the starting point because we don't like this feeling. So we, when we get this feeling, then we find some distraction or we deny it or we ignore it, or maybe we blame it on somebody, right? And what I say to people is, no, sit with it, feel it. It's not comfortable, but it's powerful. It will not hurt you. It will not kill you. Embrace it, accept it. Maybe be grateful for it that you can feel because dead people feel nothing, right? It's a sign of life. And that far behind it, not even a hair's breadth behind it, is your wholeness. So you're getting that close just by being willing to sit in it. 
you know, addicts, huge heartache issues. Sit with the heart, sit with the heartache. How do you do that? Get, sit down, get quiet, and close your eyes. See how still you can become. See how deep you can go into that stillness. See how long you can hang out in that stillness. And then some people, people say, I do that, but then I find it really boring. Oh, you should celebrate that. Why? Because you, you, when you feel bored, you've already, you're already out of your addiction to thought and doing. And you're not quite to the bliss. But you're, you're in a no man's land, so there's nothing there. So just go a little deeper. Appreciate the boredom. Notice how still it is. Notice how much peace there is in your boredom. Right? And go just a little bit deeper, and you end up having an orgasm, a, a, a heart, a heartgasm. <laughs> right? So that's the thirst of the heart. The fourth is it's the only starting point for the journey home. Right? It's your heart calling your attention to come back home to life. It's the only starting point for the journey. Journey always has two really important things, a starting point and an end. And if you don't know one or the other, you can't do the journey. If you don't know where you're going, but where you're going here is you want to feel whole again. But the starting point is I don't feel whole. I have a need for something. So start with the starting point. That's kind of like you can't run the race if you won't put your feet in the starting blocks, right? Mm -hmm. So this is the starting blocks. And the last, the, the fifth reason is when you learn how to come home. And it takes some practice because momentum, you know, it's like it, you, didn't, you didn't just climb out of your mother's body and then start running around in the living room, right? You were lying down and then you were crawling and then your legs were going like this and then you tried to get up and you fell down and you kept doing it over and over and over and over and over again. And then one point you, 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 you walked and then you fell after two steps, right? And now we've become pretty good, although I still stumble around sometimes, right? So, so it takes time. Well, it takes time to get still. It takes time to quiet yourself. It takes time to sit out of the, the addiction. And then when, you, when you've learned how to do that and you get pretty good at it and say, oh, man, I feel so good. And then you start to neglect the deliberate process of doing that. And then you start going out again. And then this will come back and remind you to come home. That's the thirst of the heart. That, you know, uh, there's no culture that I know that does a good job of explaining the importance of that one central human, human reality. No thirst, no journey. That's an incredible perspective. Um, mm -hmm. I'm reminded a little bit of in Vipassana, they'll talk about, you know, going into the emotions and not, not resisting whatever the emotion is, but the way that you framed it is a whole mm -hmm. nother step. And I feel like it's really, well, it's true and incredibly helpful. And also it leads to a bit of inspiration knowing that that wholeness is behind. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, I've had these experiences through meditation. I, I wish I could just stay in them, but I can't. And no, um, you know I what? No, you know what? That's a stupid wish. Sorry, but it's a stupid <laughs> wish because your senses will always take you out into the world. Mm. That's the nature of it. So your mm. senses will always take you out into the world automatically, and you will always need to deliberately bring, your, bring yourself back home. Mm. That's well, just the nature of it. 
and, and I like and, how you, and, and you know what? Animals are not like that. See, the dog will go out to something and then go back to its 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 body, in its energy, right? A tree doesn't even go out. So the tree's just hanging out. It's a Buddha all the time, right? <laughs> Only human beings go out from their heart into the world and then to their head into concepts and memories and all of that stuff. And only we have to, have to deliberately go home. Just the way we were made. You know, it's, it's, it's just a part of human existence. If you had no mind, like a jellyfish has no brain, right? It lives there all the time. Hmm. Well, you know, I love the way that you're framing it because you're talking about going home and whenever I have that experience, that's what it feels like. It's like your mother's love times a hundred billion and it's safe and the womb is a good description for it. And it's amazing. And you just want to stay there. And, um, but when you say, you you know, you don't want to stay there, you want to go out the, and it makes it kind of clear that what's happening in the world is people have gone out, but they don't know how to get back. Exactly. Right? And so that's exactly. where the constant stress exactly. and anxiety is, and right? We're, and, and we're not we're trained to come back. Yeah. And, and that's how we get lost. And we're also, we're also uh, encouraged in our addiction to doing. Usually we're doing somebody else's agenda. Yep. Always. Right? So we're getting a lot, of, a lot of encouragement to not do that, but for yourself. And so the impulse for doing that has to come from yourself. And the, and the thirst of the heart is your, is your impulse. It's like that's where your motivator lives. So you have that motivator. It's an incredible gift. If you didn't have that, you'd get lost. You'd never find your way home. And right? what do you, one of the curiosities that I have is um, like the intention of doing the work, like being, right? But yeah. we still need to take the action. And I'm reminded of Michael Singer and the uh, surrender experiment of, you know, just be, you don't have to do anything and it flows. And, you know, I met somebody who lived in that and had a very, fascinating story but he seemed to be able to do it and i'm curious there of like you know i want to become a better athlete i got to go do something um with this with this merger of surrender i i currently imagine as a yin yang like this you know an impulse in a natural direction right you're 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 pulled in a direction that's that's congruent with what you are and i'm just curious your your take on that okay so so a lot of people think that if you sit still and you find that place inside you become a vegetable (laughs) <laughs> no, but what, what happens is you become disciplined because if, you're, if you can go here at will, you can also go there at will. And then the question becomes, instead of looking around and saying, what can I do that'll take care of me? When I feel cared for because I've come home, because I've done that deliberate practice of sitting still. Now the question is, okay, what needs to be done around here? okay, how can I help? It doesn't have to be about me anymore because I'm taken care of. And so then what happens? When I, before I knew that, I would, everything was about how is this going to take care of me? I'll only do it if it takes care of me. And I didn't do things that needed to be done, which by the way are better business because they need to be done, right? So like the, something needs to be done is the market, right? So I wouldn't do some things that were really big deals that needed energy that were good business because I couldn't see how that would take care of me. Mm. When, I, when I knew I was taken care of, then I was like, okay, I feel taken care of. Or if I don't feel taken care of, I know what to do to feel taken care of. I just bring this home 
okay, what needs to be done? Now I can say, okay, 8 billion people could live their lives lit up from within. It's a big project, right? But there's no reason now for me to say, oh, no, I want to do something smaller because I am taken care of and now I can actually can give without immediately needing to get something. And I will address the biggest issues on the planet. And when you address the biggest issues on the planet, people give you their money in order to feel better, feel more joy or less pain. That's how it works. Now I'm free to take on big projects because it's not about me anymore. And when I, as long as it's about me, the projects are small. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it's a, a massive distinction. So, One of the but, but oh, let me just finish because yep. I, I just want to finish the answer to your question. Yes. So the issue is, first of all, I can go into this beautiful place and just be like, oh wow, I'm finally there, right? And then I have to go pee. Right? So so it's you don't have to worry about getting lost in being and not finding your way back because your body has needs and you, and you know, you got to eat. So either you got to go pee or you got to sleep or you got to eat or you got to do something. Right. So, but what happens is if you realize that your wholeness does not depend on all of those things that you do, you can do those things deliberately. You can do th those things from clarity you can do what needs to be done because you're clear about what needs to be done and what's, and what's irrelevant. That kind of clarity only comes from wholeness and it's built into you. And the answers you need for living are built into you. Why aren't we asking life how to live? Why are we going to other people who have different agendas, who half the time are half baked? Why are we asking them for how we should live? And then they give us some rationale. I mean, you know, how, why is it that in a religion, everybody's supposed to have the same experience and memorize the same beliefs? Everybody has experiences of life. That's your spirituality. And that'll be different for everybody. Right? My big moment was, everyone want to hear that story? Sure. You're talking about the big moment, right? Are you talking about so, the, the visitor? Yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, please. <laughs> so, so I grew up not very religious. My parents were nominally Lutheran, but when we asked the questions, they said, well, we're not big into that because they came out of the, second, the First World War, the Bolshevik Revolution, the Second World War, the, uh, the, the Depression before that. And they had it up to here with human beings and culture and countries and all of that, right? And their religion was nature. So they hung out in nature. We, when we asked the question, they said, well, you guys got to figure it out yourself. You figure out what meaning you want to give it. And so I got to a point when I was in my 20s, after I left university, I think it was uh, 1968, so I was 26. And then I started exploring other places because I hadn't founded university, what my heart was aching for. I felt this when I was 17. I couldn't shake it. And so I was always looking for wait, what is it? What is it? Nobody knew how knew what it was because it was quite a few years ago, and uh, and I decided that one day that I would find. I wanted to know what the experience that John had, John in the in the New Testament, who said, "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God." That's already 
hair goes up in the back of my head, right? And then it says, and word became flesh and dwelt amongst us full of grace and truth. And I said, what did this guy experience that that was an expression of? I want to have that experience. Because it was, it was like, this got to be amazing. And then pretty soon I was saying, no, actually, I want to have the experience that Jesus had when he did the Sermon on the Mount or when he, whatever the things he said, right? What you've done to one of the least of these that you have done to me. Whatever, he, whatever the things were he said, I wanted to know what he felt. Where did that come from? How, how, you know, how can you, how can that, you know, it has to be an expression of something. I want to have that feeling. And so I got a red letter edition and I, everything Jesus said was in red and everything, you know, Christian culture. So I'm, I'm not trying to be Christian religious here, right? Everybody, uh, everything else was in black. And I, and I liked that because I wanted to know what was the master's. You know, this is the guy they're still talking about 2,000 years later. My grandfather hasn't been dead for 50 years. Nobody remembers his name, including me. Right? And so, so I said, well, I want to know what, the, what was the difference. And then I put it to the test. I had some incredible experiences. And uh, then one day there was this group of people who came up the coast, called themselves Jesus People's Army. And I thought, well, they're probably guys that were just looking trying to figure it out like I am. So I'll go and hang out with them. And so I walked into the place. It was in a little coffee house. And I sat down and this guy swooped next to me. And I didn't say hi or anything. I just said, it must be possible to see God and live. And I gave a list of all the people in the Bible who supposedly saw God and lived. And we were always told, if you see God, you die. Hmm. When I was a kid. I don't know. They're not saying it so loud these days. Hmm. And so the guy freaked out. Oh my you're from the devil you're from the antichrist get out of here so i out i go i'm in the in the dark <laughs> in the evening standing on the sidewalk completely confused because i says well i haven't seen god maybe it's the wrong question to ask and maybe there are questions that shouldn't be asked it says that in the bible too and i what i would do when i got really freaked out i would go to nature to clear my head so i went to west coast of vancouver island spent a weekend there and somebody had built a little building out of draped plastic over the logs and then he said okay i'll spend the night here and i went in lay down dead asleep and bolt upright from dead asleep and there was a being made of light and i you know it's like i don't believe in stuff like that <laughs> but what i do know what i do know is i was <laughs> Super confused, super desperate, and really wanted to know. And then I got this thing on, you know, hammered on, right? And so there was this being made of light, embodying a message. And it didn't have, it didn't say anything. It just embodied a message. What is the message of that being of light? I could put words to it. The message was, I am come not to judge, but to love. And just like, just that moment, all my confusion was gone. I have never had a question about the, what the message of the master was. And then it was like, well, who was that? You know, is that my, is that my spirit or is that life energy or is, because it didn't say, you know, I didn't have a name on its forehead or anything. And I started thinking about it. That being of light is your personal essence. 
is my personal essence, is the personal essence of every human being who's alive. That essence is the life energy. And in that, and the message of that life energy is, I am come not to judge, but to love. Because has your life ever judged you? Your mind has, but has your life ever judged you? If you were really a badass, did your life ever punish you? No, other people punished you. Maybe your mind drove you crazy. But did the life, no, the life, no, no matter how crazy you, you've been or I've been, that energy has always unconditionally cared for the needs of my body. And if I'm freaked out in my head, it will still take that molecule of folic acid out of my digestive tract, absorb it into the body, take it down to the place on my, on my knee or my ankle where it's needed continues to care for me, even if I say, I hate life, it still takes care of me perfectly without any let up. Maybe, maybe that would be a good thing to get to know, you know, and maybe to embody that in our lives, that we are life in human form, because we are life in human form. Maybe living in, in the direct experience of that might be very good for us and each other and our politics and our groups and our planet. And the problems that we've created on the planet from not living from there can only be solved when we begin to live from there. Because out of our state of being, we created the mess. What, what state of being? Disconnected discontent, state of being. That's what's destructive. You know, destructive feeling, bad feeling leads to destructive thinking, leads to destructive words, leads to destructive actions, has destructive consequences. But a different state of being creates a different world because our, our state of being creates our perception and our state of being creates our world. Like for instance, you could have one person whose state of being is peace. And next to that person, a, someone whose state of being is fear. And someone beside that person whose state of being is anger. And what would be their perception of the world? Well, the angry guy would see enemies. The fearful guy would see danger. And the peaceful guy would see peace. Right? And if you're seeing, if I'm seeing peace, how would I... How would I behave into the world? How would I act into the world from that state of being as compared to acting into the world from the state of being of fear? Be pretty different. And it's by how we act into the world that we create the world. Right? So the homework is to come home. And then from being home and feeling cared for, to bring the cared forness to expression rather than, oh, you know, it's like if, I, if I'm discontent, I see all the assholes, <laughs> you know, oh, he's an asshole, he's an asshole, he's all, yeah, because I'm an asshole looking, right? Because if I'm in peace, I also see the peace in those people. And so our state of being determines everything else. So what is the most important work to do? 
homework on the state of being? And what kind of state of being would you like to live in? What is the most beneficial state of being to live in? Wholeness has got to be real close. Peace has got to be pretty good. Unconditional love has got to be pretty good. But also truth and also reality and also prosperity to all feelings, all states of being. States of being that are not based on conditions, but are based on the reality of existence. Unconditional love versus conditional love. Unconditional peace versus conditional peace. That's in our nature. That's what's so cool about it. Everybody's born with that shit. It's in our nature. It's in our nature. And all we need to do is dig it out. Transform everything. That's amazing. That's cool? amazing. Uh, you know, I think this is a pretty deep podcast. I've had some pretty amazing guests on, and that was some of the deepest stuff I've ever listened to and an absolutely phenomenal experience. You know, I remember, I remember saying, yeah, yeah, you can talk about everything and you know, even Bigfoot if you want. And you're like, I'm a scientist. I'm not going to talk about Bigfoot. And then you're like, oh, wait, actually, I did have this one experience. And then that was the, the visitor story. So, But just to defend myself on the science, you know, science is based on observation. Mm. Right? Doesn't matter. And observation, like where your focus goes, you learn what you focus on. Right? That's the way it is. Mm -hmm. Right? So if you focus on negativity, you learn negativity. You get good at it, but you also start to see it. Right? So what you focus on, um, uh, I forget where, we, where I was going with that. Well, this, so this, this is what I'm curious about. I think you'll remember when I ask, how yeah. do you merge? Because you seem to know what's going on in the world and, and uh -huh. finding the truth. How do you merge when I'm looking out there and see agendas that are not for everyone's good? And I'm like, yeah. holy, you know, I don't want to stay in ignorance. One of them is like human trafficking and, and starvation yeah, and yeah. all these okay. problems. Yeah. And there's mm -hmm. like people like Monsanto, you know, about the food. And it's like, okay, these guys are doing that. And I feel like, how do I make a positive outcome? If, if I don't pay attention, how do I influence it in a positive way if, I, if I'm aware of the suffering of others or systems of suffering? And is it even okay. helpful if I study I, them? Yeah, I'll give, you, I'll give you a story. Okay. One day I was talking about peace in, a, in front of a, an audience. And my peace is the peace that you feel, not, not absence of war. That's not peace. Peace is a presence of something and it's a presence within you. And it's always there if you, if you, you, know, if you go there. And so this woman put up her hand and she said, so I hope with all this talk of peace, I hope you're also against violence against women. And I was like, wow, that's a cool question, right? <laughs> and, I, and I said to her, you know, I have never heard of, never read about, and never seen an act of violence against women by someone experiencing peace. So maybe we need to deepen the experience of peace because in the experience of peace, violence against women or whatever else you were just talking about, drugs and, and Monsantos and you know, all of the things that are wrong with the world are made by people who have lost their way and are still trying to get their, their, uh, their contentment from outside. And no one has had the courage to talk to them as being filled with peace. 
Because when those people are content, or in an, I give you another example, rich people, you know, rich people should share with the people who need it, right? Some people say that, right? So rich, really rich people, why, you know, and they hang on to their stuff. And the poor people are more generous than the rich people, even though the rich people could be much more generous because they could afford it more, right? So why is that? And I, I, I think I figured it out. It's, it goes like this. Until you feel content, whatever you have, you think you need to hang on to because you fear that if you let go of what you don't even need, you would be even more discontent. The moment that that person finds a track to contentment and then the same person comes and is hungry and I've eaten. Sure. Take it. Right. I'm not, I'm not starving myself for him, but I'll give him what I don't need. Right. And if, if 8 billion people lived like that, do you think there would be hunger on the planet? Not really. Do you think there'd be war on the planet? Not really. You think, you know, all the, all the crazy stuff we do, it's always in the service of hoping to find my wholeness. We're, that's how powerful that, is, that drive is. And until we find it, we'll keep doing it. And those of us who find it can have a hand in putting out the word to those who are looking for it. And, you know, I have a team. It's got 8 billion people. I can't kick anybody off the team. The only thing that we can do is find ways to help people deepen the experience of the wonder of their life. That's really, it's all homework. And I can't take anybody deeper than I've gone. And I have never seen the bottom of it, so I will probably be looking for the bottom of it <laughs> as long as I'm alive, right? And what does it take to see in the people that mouth their discontent? What does it take to see that in them too is a contentment, even if they're not connected to it in their awareness right now? And then the question becomes, how can we make the biggest splash for that, for people finding their contentment? Because they've all had it. I mean, they weren't kids who came out of there was their mother's body evil. They came into the world and they were, dis, they were misled by people who were misled by their parents who were misled by their parents by all the way back to 200,000 years ago, right? And now we're under pressure to change it because we see it's not sustainable. Not in the environment, not in politics, not in relationships, not in health. And so we're under pressure. And because we're under pressure, we're, we can have this conversation. Like 50 years ago, you probably weren't alive, but 50 years ago, you couldn't have this conversation. Hmm. We had to fuck it up more beforehand, right? <laughs> and so we're under pressure and we, we'll, either, we'll either get there or we'll probably destroy everything. But even if, even, if, like, even if this is the last 12 years on the planet, we still wanna live it from the heart, simply because that's where the best experience is. And lucky for you, you have 100% control of where inside you go. 
you don't have 100% control, control on the outside because people are pushing and pulling and things are happening and stuff is changing and you got to deal with that. But when it comes to actually taking a little bit of time and sitting down and discovering that everything that anybody has ever talked about that is lofty and noble and beautiful and love-filled and kind is, access, is, is present in you and accessible and available any moment you bring your awareness there. That's pretty cool, right? You don't have to fight about whose opinion is the better opinion on coronavirus. But you can live in peace in the midst of those opinions and the coronas. You know, and sometimes you have, just have to turn your television off. <laughs> you know, or or put your or put your computer away and not not listen to all the stories on. You know, because every kind of, anybody can make anything up with, under any agenda to serve any agenda. My agenda is like, how can we, how can we deepen our experience of the amazingness of life? Job one. That's and you know amazing. what, all the, wise, and all the wise people and even the little kids and even anybody close to death, they all say the same thing. It's about love. It's about not judging. I have come not to judge, but to love. The essence of the message. Core message. It's, it's really beautiful. I, I just uh, was talking to my friend. He was visiting in town and we, we like to, you know, have really engaging conversations and he was telling me because i asked a similar question like with all the craziness in the world how mm. can we create a positive solution and he mm. reminded me of this uh thick not han quote that's that when somebody asked him um you know what is the way to peace and he said there is no way to peace peace mm. is the way peace is the way yeah and he and i love that and then he also said so, you know because i was describing i was like you know what, what really bothers me is like understanding these systems that are oppressing mm. Because mm -hmm. I'm curious, but I'm also mm -hmm. looking at the negativity. That's where my attention is going. So this is what I'm considering. Yeah. And, and, also and, so then, and then you're actually building it, right? The, well, how, yeah. The, so, time you, the time you spend in negativity, you're actually building the negativity. Hmm. And, and the point is you, you have an option. You, you, know, you can take one side or you can take I, – I have this joke. You know, between the, 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 the arguments between the Democrats and the Republicans – and sometimes I call them Republicrats and Democans. <laughs> Sorry, just to mix it up, right? But the, in the arguments between one side and the other side, I always like to take the side of life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because when you think about it, they spend their life arguing about ideas. Both sides are stupid because both sides are missing that they have almost everything in common, right? They got blood and they got urine and they got hunger and they got thirst and they worry about their kids and they make want to make sure that they're safe and you know they worry about health and they worry about making sure there's food on the table like they have everything in in common but they only argue about the little bit of unreal because everything you think is unreal because you, you can't even show me a thought 
So thoughts are not real, right? So everything they argue about is about something that is made up, arbitrary, neither here nor there, and really pretty irrelevant. Yeah, and and so when I when I think about um, you know one of the things that I I think about often is the human trafficking thing, and I and I was yeah. talking to my friend about it, and he goes, you know, I I said I think about that, and and I'd like to stop it. Yeah. Um, but I also think about doing the podcast and creating, you know, Zen athlete sports psychology and doing personal development yeah. for courses to help them connect with more self-love, peace and all these things. Yeah. And he, I can't remember exactly how he phrased it, but he goes, um, rather than trying to stop something you don't want, um, mm-hmm. you want to build something that you want to put out there and help. And yeah. then I can't do both at the same time. And so one side of me is like, well, how does, how does, how does that stop? How does the atrocious thing stop if I don't mm-hmm. yeah. become you know, aware of it or there's no follow, systems to, to put it in place? Yeah, Buckminster Fuller said, you know, you know who he was? Buckminster oh, yeah. Fuller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay, so he, says, so he says you, you, you build something new and make what's, what's old obsolete. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. focus on what you can do. Focus on the world you want to build mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of fighting the world you want to get away from. Mm-hmm. You don't have to fight it. You just build a new one. It's like people when I started working. Is that scientifically them, sound? Like you know, because my you oh, know, yeah. I, 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 it feels right and it resonates truly. Yeah. But it also get what I think of is like not having the compassion for something that's real. And how does that like stop? Like it does feel right, but you know, yeah. you're also a scientist, yeah. and it's like but, you I know, no, like, about it, like it, it drives me nuts. <laughs> let me give you an. Let me give you an. Uh, an example in my life. It's a different example, but I, I, it makes a point. So when I was in my 20s, I bitched about everything. I, I'm, I'm perfect. I can find what's wrong with any system within seconds. I'm really good at it. Right? I'm pretty <laughs> smart, but I'm really good at it. And I was really trained at it. And I bitched about everything. And so my sister took me aside one day and she said to me, you know, Udo, we agree with all the stuff you bitch about. But the problem with you is you just bitch about it. You don't do anything to change it. Mm. And it really rocked my world. And out of that came when everybody was bitching about what they're doing to oils. And I got, I, I knew all the, all the information. For me and somebody who was much better at it than I was, who's a lipid, lipid chemist, and she, was, she, was, she hated me for the rest of her life until she died of cancer. But she hated me because she said, here's this guy. He's not even a lipid chemist, you know? And he's trying to be an expert in lipids. And what she was doing is she was complaining about trans fatty acids and complaining about the oil industry. And I sat, sat up one day and said, man, I can't get healthy on dirty oils like that. We should make them with health in mind. I'm going to do that. So then it was a lot more work at the beginning to develop the method for making oils with health in mind and then to build it out and then to do flax oil and then to do education and then to get the people or, you know, that were needed to get that done. But now they have to explain why they're not doing it that way. Right? Harder work, but more effect. When it comes to the kids, yeah, I would like to save every kid from that. I agree. 
I don't know any of those kids. If it happened near me, I would probably step in. I've never been in that situation. But then you have to ask, why are people trafficking in kids? Does it come out of contentment? No. Because when you're content, because you're fully present in your own life, why would you, why would you want to kidnap kids? Why would you want to do any of that crazy shit? So I may not have a direct effect on a person who is trafficking, but I can have an effect on some people to improve the quality of their life, to get closer to contentment. And eventually, one way or another, every human being on the planet is connected. And when everybody on the planet is connected, nobody will be trafficking in kids. But trafficking in kids is not the problem. It's a symptom. It's a symptom of disconnectedness. It's a symptom. And if you just keep fighting the symptoms, you never get it fixed. And even the traffickers, even though you want to kick their asses, right? Why are they acting like that? They were, they were, they were connected in their mother's womb. They came out. They got lost. And, to, and someone somewhere aligned will help them get reconnected and it will be over for them. You know, you can't, you know, by fighting evil, you get involved in evil. By building, by building a place where love is, is cherished, that's different. That doesn't yeah. mean you, and it doesn't mean that you don't have to growl at somebody once in a while. You know, when somebody's doing something really stupid that is like life hostile. Yeah, you can give it, you, you know, but be articulate and do it in a way that will take them a little closer to doing something that is life threatening. And for that, you got to be, you got to be alert. You got to be present. Awareness. Right? Yeah, you can't, you can't do that in your sleep. You cannot be unconsciously conscious of consciousness. <laughs> Just like, hold on. Well, you know, I'll, I'll accept your answer because I have a story that illustrates it. And, and it's something that's mm -hmm. helping me personally go through all of this. And so um, I was talking about us coaching today and I was talking about fear and an experience. And, um, you know, I had a deep meditation where I got to go home the other day and it was very nice. And so, you know, I'm like, how does, how is evil persist here? And, you know, I, I did a, a coaching course where people were working on some of the traumas they'd gone through. And two of the people in the course talked about child, like being abused as children in schools mm -hmm. and the audacity of the teacher to be able to abuse that kid, the, the, the fearlessness of him doing that. I was like, how would he think he could get away with that? And like to me it's absurd right and it's because a lot of people don't want to look at it they're kind of in a in their a bit of a slumber they can't imagine that it's real and i and i clicked to me this example i was at a festival i was at a vision festival and i remember kind of like getting a spider sense and i look out in the crowd and there's a bunch of people but one guy kind of walks in and i have eyes on him right away and just was like predator the crowd not good you know just i knew immediately this was a bad bad person and just predatoring around, but he's not noticing that I'm seeing him from the corner. So he's surveying everything. The second that he locks eyes on me and I look at him, he changes all of his posture, what he's doing, and leaves immediately. 
And with what you're saying, to me, it's as, as many people awake out of their slumber into their connection because all it takes is people directing the consciousness to say, we're going to alchemize that now and we're not going to accept that. That, that. that is not harmonious. That is not life-affirming. That is actually uh, entropy. Um, this yeah. is hostile. This is an issue. And all that is required is awareness. But because people are so disconnected with themselves, they don't have the time to be looking in the world and thinking about other people. Like you said, they're just trying to get for themselves. So mm-hmm. their shutters can't, can't put, have you exist in it because they're only mm-hmm. thinking about number one. And so the more people that we bring into awareness, that we bring into light, that are connected in themselves, that's a light shining on toward life affirming um, yeah. love and beauty and all the characteristics that we want to move towards that are natural and harmonious. And so I feel like if that number gets to a certain amount and they talk about it in the Celestine prophecy, some of the religious books, and it doesn't have to be everyone. It's, it's like this energy, you know, maybe there's something in science where you get to a certain point of energy, right? And then boop, it kind of flips the switch and then we go to a higher octave and, and maybe that's it. And I think about cymatics where we are right now, it's kind of like cymatics behind me and, you know, between the harmonious octaves, it's all distorted. Right. And right now we're in this heavy distortion. And ideally, if we can project into the future what we want and what we want to affirm here, we can go to a higher octave of harmony. But you need but you need to have it in your in the present. Yes. Yes. Not yes, the, yes. You, you need to have the future in your in the present. So, yeah. you know, I don't say I'm hoping that one day eight billion people. I'm saying no, my goal is eight billion people live lit up from within because it's already there, mm-hmm. right? So instead of hoping for it later, occupy it now. There's nothing that keeps you from doing that other than how you think about it, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Because you are the master. See, if, like, if life is the master within you, you are the master. Pretend you're the master. Fall on your face every time you're not, and then you learn what you need to learn to be the master, <laughs> right? That's a good, that's good advice, actually, right? Mm-hmm. Assume that that's true. I, f- I mean, if it's true, if it makes sense that it's true, then assume it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and be that and learn, mm-hmm. right? Like if you don't set a, if you don't set a standard, I, I'll give you, tell you one more story. I once realized that I had never loved a woman without condition. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, that's really crazy. I think I would like to love one woman without condition. And so I, so I, I, had, I had the victim. <laughs> you know, I knew the person. And I was very attracted to her and her life story and all of that. And she'd had a very hard time. And I decided that I was going to love her unconditionally and not expect anything back, but accept anything that came back. Right? And you know, the moment that I made that commitment to myself, I didn't even tell her, the moment I made that commitment to myself, I started seeing all the places where I was not loving unconditionally. And then one by one, I was able to dismantle the thinking behind the the non-unconditionalness of my love for that woman. I learned so much. It's like amazing, right? So if you don't set a goal higher, then where you are and then occupy it 
and then learn into that gap, it's hard to move forward. Right? Yep. Well, it reminds me of the idea in, in law of attraction and other spaces. They'll say, you know, mm. uh, pretend as if it's already here, right? Like, yeah. well, it's not different from it. saying, yeah, it's not different from saying, well, I want to make a million dollars. And then they turn it around and say, no, you already have a million dollars. You just keep your, you just keep your pant pockets unzipped so it can get in when, <laughs> as it shows up, right? And it, it's easier when you see it already accomplished. And how, do you, you just, and how do you, and you frame it beyond, how do you frame it beyond the ego? That's the one thing that I would, you know, I have my own ideas in that. Like, it's not like Matt's going to make the million. It's like through you, like, how do you frame it? Cause, um, I think people will get lost in like an, an ego side because I, I think some people have a good frame around ego and what it is. And some people have a disempowering frame of what ego is. I'm just curious about living. Well, the, 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 um, the, the place where you find your wholeness, your God likeness as Adler, Alfred Adler called it is in surrender is in letting go. Right, it's not in it's not in racing after it. Mm. So you want to race after it. You want to have that thing. You could be deliberately clear about that. But then, how do you get there? Well, relax more. Well, relax deeper. Well, go deeper. Well, go even deeper. Well, go even deeper. And and the, and in order to do that, you every time you do that, you're actually letting go a little bit of your so-called ego limitations. The ego is just a mental construct. Right, but I'm I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my words. I'm not my actions. I'm not the consequences of my actions. I am the energy of life, and so is everybody else. See, there's not much for the ego in that, right? You know, the difference between a guy who's in the mental hospital, locked up, saying, "I'm Jesus Christ. I'm Jesus Christ." You know what the difference is between that and the, and the real thing. The guy who's saying, I'm Jesus Christ, I'm Jesus Christ. He says, and you are not. But he's not saying that. But that's how he's acting. Mm. What if you're Jesus Christ and so is everybody else? Ah, then it starts to make some sense. So you're not better than anybody because you go deeper. In fact, you might just be more grateful and more humble. Right? This is like, like what I'm talking about is not an accomplishment that makes you, that makes you better and greater and higher. And no, 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 that's, that's no, that's not how it is. You don't get a mailed certificate, you know, a little, <laughs> something you can put yeah. on the wall. Yeah, on the front, it says, <laughs> on the front, it says JC and on the end, on the, on the back side, it says asshole. A <laughs> couple of coupons to Denny's or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but. Is that, yeah, but does that make sense? Like the ego is, yeah. is like when you start to talk about the ego, you start to build the ego. Right? And what is the ego? Well, the ego is who you think you are. Nothing you think is true. So the moment you step out of your thoughts, there's no comparisons. There's no judgments. In, out, in unconditional love, there is no judgment. The light sees light. 
The love sees love. The peace sees peace. And it's everywhere. And the, the way that I understand this, and I'd love to hear your take on it, is when I was meditating with monks in Nepal, I would have conversations in the afternoon. And, and I asked them, uh, I said, you know, one of your things is that uh, desire leads to suffering, like when we desire things. And I was like, well, I desire for a millions and athlete books to get out there because I want to empower children. Um, mm -hmm. to learn about themselves and self-mastery. And he looks at me and goes, that's not, that's not desire. And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, it's not for you. He's like, you're desiring to like help. It's like when you desire selfishly, it's right. different. And so what you spoke about earlier, you said, um, how can I give back? And that idea kind of came, you know, to you, how can you help? And then you kind of give it over to the big thing, you know, give it over to the universe. And you say, you know, I'll be the. Well, I, I, I can tell you this, that, that, I was, the, I was the point person for all that stuff with oils. But I cannot say that I did it. You know, people sometimes come up, yeah, you're pretty good. Oh, man, yeah, like you said, you know, I've heard about you. I've heard great things about you. Yeah, you must be a cool thing. You know what? It took thousands of people to make them successful. And I didn't know any of those people. They came out of the woodwork. So, how, you know, where's the, where's the you know, I, I got all the credit, right? But the truth is, every bottle of oil that somebody bought was part of the part of the thing, right? I didn't. I didn't have access to that. The people who came, I didn't have access to that. The fact that the year after I got poisoned, omega three was established as an essential nutrient, I didn't do that timing. The fact that I got poisoned in 1980, that was not my timing, but it was perfect timing for the success of the venture. And it's sometimes when you're clear, the world changes to accommodate you, but you're not changing the world. You're just being clear. You're making your own effort in your own life. And a whole lot of other things come around. And I have no idea. I just know, I know when I do what I can myself, on my own, without, without help, when I really need the help, the help shows up. But when I try to get help because I'm too lazy to do what I could actually do myself, I get the wrong kind of help. Because, <laughs> you know, basically what happens is lazy people will show up mm. and then it becomes really stupid. You know, and I'm not limited. The other thing is you go into awareness. Awareness has a center in me or in my body because this is not the body's not me right has a center in my body but it has no outside surface so there's only one thing hmm. right and you're a center in that and i'm a center in that and eight other eight billion other people are centers in that and all the stars and galaxies and planets and suns are centers for it And, and there's no separation on that level. And then, you can, then the question is, who do you think you are, right? And then you, who you think you are depends on where you focus. So if you focus on the, on, the, on the community, on other people, then you are a member. If you focus on nature, you're a, you're, you're a little creature. If you focus on the big picture, then you're a spark, a speck. If you focus on your body, then you think you're physical. If you focus on the energy that keeps you alive, you are life. And if you are 
focused on the awareness, you become the awareness. And you're actually all of that. And the survival smarts. That's amazing. Right. I, I, could, I could listen to you talk all day. Um, I want to honor your time, and, and this has been a, a treat. But, yeah, I could definitely talk uh, with you all day. I'd love to have you back on the show. Sure, let's do it. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to ask a million more questions, but we'll, we'll save it for now. Um, yeah. Is there anything in this episode that you wish that we had talked about or that you um, want to leave the listeners with before we wrap it up? No, just just that they can find the products on udoschoice.com so they can read more about the, why I do what I do with the products. And, uh, and then we've got courses and the books are on the other website, which is theudo.com, T-H-E-U-D-O, theudo.com. And there are courses and freebies and books and a few other things. And we're just building all that because this is a big project and I'm, I'm only a couple of years into basically having put my ass on the line. <laughs> <laughs> ah, amazing. Well, this was really a, an amazing episode. I'm so grateful for the work that you do and what you share. And um, yeah, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. I invite everybody to check out the websites, check out the work. I know there's a lot of courses and there's a lot of information. So, you know, the way that you wrapped up the the principles, uh, the eight steps, and it's something that is not talked about, but I, I can, from having almost 400 guests and some of them going through these healings, they will say one of those eight steps and, mm -hmm. you know, they're encompassing those. And so right. it really is brilliantly put together. So just thank you so much for your work and what you do. And uh, we'll definitely get back on the show. All right. Thank you. That's fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks guys for watching. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely amazing Udo Erasmus. If you want to get a free copy of his book and dive deeper in some of the stuff that he teaches on, just go to bit.ly forward slash Udo book, which is U-D-O-B-O-O-K get a free copy of his book that's for all of you the listeners um, if you like the episode please share it please take a moment to leave a review in itunes um, that helps so much consider becoming a patron if you go to patreon.com forward slash matt belair toss a buck in the bucket it's incredibly helpful and uh consider joining the academy there's amazing content over there the soul compass course exclusive uh, content from guests and training so a lot of value and they're literally uh, probably a few thousand bucks worth of value so uh if you would like to do that would love to have you and i uh, appreciate you guys so please share this episode do what you can but uh sending you all of my love well wishes and good vibes i hope that you're doing well during these times and um yeah let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close it up wherever you are in this world just stop what you're doing take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with peace, joy, contentment, courage, inspiration, and ready to take on the rest of the day. So thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.